so if you haven't met me before, my name's Isaac, and I've been coming to this church for many, many years. I was a, a very little boy when my parents brought me in. I think I was like 10 years old or something. Um, but I was absolutely blessed to be raised in a beautiful Christian family. Actually, my parents are here tonight, and they're amazing people. But um, yeah, actually, before I go on to them, because I want to honor them, but I actually just want to give... Uh, a shout just to two amazing people in my life, two amazing leaders that have really in the last few months kind of called me up to better things. I love that we have people in our church that look over us and don't just pat us on the back that we're doing good, but actually encourage us to go further, encourage us to be better people, encourage us to push ourselves. And two of those amazing people is Pastor Josh and Shekinah Stott. Can we just put our hands together for them? Honestly, you guys are amazing. And the, the things that you do for me are truly incredible and I'm very thankful. As I was saying, I was um, brought up in a Christian family, super, super blessed. And so God uh, really positioned me in a family where they taught me the ways of God. They taught me about the Bible. They really raised me in a way of showing me how a young man should live. And so I had every reason to follow God in an amazing way. And I did for so many years as a child, but the, the uh, amazing honor I have tonight is actually sharing on overcoming temptation, which is really cool. And if you told me I was going to speak on that maybe five years ago, I probably would have laughed. Purely because <laughs> purely in all honesty, I would have got an A++ in not overcoming temptation. I mean, I, like I said, I was raised in God's ways and my parents did everything right. In all honesty, it couldn't have been any better as a child, like childhood. But just through my own, I guess... Um, selfish decisions, the way I was raised, whether it was my friend group, but really just my own choices. I started to develop some pretty bad habits in my life. And around the age of 13 or 14, I really quickly developed uh, an addiction to porn, an addiction um, really that just continued for years and years and years. And it wasn't just that, but it really just came from a root of pride, a, a desire to do life my own way, a desire to really just live for myself. And really that just came down to me falling short time and time again to temptation it got to the stage where I was at school and kids would hear, oh, you go to church, you're a Christian. They'd almost laugh in my face just because they knew how I lived. And they're like, how can you say you're a Christian and you do this and that and that? But th that was the truth. And looking back now, it breaks my heart that I was like that. But I just want to share tonight on a few keys that really, in reflection, helped me to not just get free, but to actually stay free and to be able to overcome. And so I want to share with you tonight as well that if you're in that place and you're here and maybe it's not porn, maybe it's not lust, maybe it's money, maybe it's selfish ambition, whatever it is, we all have our thing. I want to encourage you that this isn't a message of condemnation. It's not one where I'm trying to say I'm better and you, you need to improve, but it's actually one of love and it's something that we can all just uh, work together to overcome. And so I want to share some things about temptation tonight. Temptation is actually something that we all face and it's not something that we should feel guilty for. I remember I used to not just fall short in temptation, but actually feel guilty for even being tempted. But it says this in Matthew 4.1, it says, Jesus led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. If Jesus was tempted and the Bible makes it really clear that he never sinned, we know that being tempted itself isn't a sin. Right? It's actually something that we all face. So I want to encourage you tonight that if you have temptation in a certain area, that that in itself isn't sin and it's nothing to feel ashamed of and it's something that we all experience. And so the other thing that um, I really just wanted to teach about tonight and something that I soon had to realise was that temptation itself at its core, at its root, is never from God himself. And it's really important to know that. It says this in James 1, 12 to 15, if you've got your Bibles turn there with me. We can read it up on the screen as well. It says, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life 
that God has promised to those who love him. And remember when you're being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions and when sin's allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. If we can just leave that up there for a moment. That last scripture is really just a picture of, of what a life uh, of temptation looks like when we fall short. It starts as temptation, as I mentioned before, something that in itself isn't a sin and something that we all encounter. But it's when we feed that temptation, when we give into it time and time again, it gives birth to what the Bible calls sin. And sin's basically saying, hey God, I'm going to do life my own way. I know you've told me to do this, but this is what I'm going to do. And it says when sin's allowed to fully develop, it leads to death. And death in this context, the Bible makes it very clear, we all pass away from this life. When it's talking about death, it's actually talking about separation from God. And that's, the, the, I guess, the end point of sin is saying, hey, God, I don't need you. And ultimately, he gives you what you ask for. And, and it's separation from God. And so it's so important for us to deal with temptation that we would stop that progression. It says here, um, like I said, that temptation is never from God. In 1 Peter 5, 8, it says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a, like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Looking for someone to devour. Even in the context of a lion, it almost gives us a picture of what it's like. Quite often when we're feeling tempted, it's in a situation where we're isolated or where we're alone where no one can see us, when things are hidden in the dark. And it's at that point when the devil comes to, to tempt us and comes to bring those things upon us. And so I want to encourage you tonight that if you know that the source is itself evil, is itself our fleshly and carnal desires, then it gives you an urgency to get free and to realise that it's possible. You see, the enemy, I, I don't like to, as it says, give the, the devil glory, but sometimes it's important to talk about him. It says that he's cunning, right? He's wise. He looks for those that he can isolate. Like it says, like a lion, if you've ever watched David Attenborough, but um, if you've ever watched David Attenborough, you always see the one gazelle that, that gets away, right? That's on its own. It's like, boom, the lion goes for that. It's the same as us. So it's important. That's why, completely side topic, but that's why it's important to gather in church because you're not, you're not alone. You're not stuck. It's important to come together where you're in that pack. That was definitely not even in my notes, but it's so true. Um, but it's so important to understand that there is an enemy of your souls. And like I said, it's not that we should ever put our focus on it, but it's to understand that why there is a God that loves you tremendously and wants to see you succeed, there's also an enemy that wants the opposite. And the, the simplest reason for that, it used to be like, why the heck is there even a, a devil? But he hates God. And if he can't get to God, what's he going to try and get to? The thing that he loves most, right? It says that we're made in God's image. And that's the whole reason. So I want to just encourage you guys tonight that because you know there's an enemy, um, it's important to target that and to know that you can overcome. And it says here in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, one of my favorite scriptures and one that we should all stand on tonight, it says, no temptation has overtaken you except which is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, so everyone's tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. The way I first read this was both in a practical sense. As a young man, I used to stand on this, especially in that season where I was really trying to come out of that lifestyle and into a new one. God always provides a way out. Always. I never used to believe that because I used to fall short so much. But what I soon realized is when I actually started to have faith in that scripture and believe that it was true, time and time again, I would find that I had a way out. 
But when I also read that, who knows that scripture can be both very logical, but then also very spiritual. And as you read it, it comes alive to you. The way out, Jesus says that I am the way, right? I am the way. And so when I read that, it says there will always be a way out. The easiest way to get out of temptation when you're stuck in that situation is to, if you can, force yourself, Jesus, help me. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I'm struggling. Lord, come into this world right now. Come into my zone. And very quickly, you'll find that that feeling leaves and you can actually come out of temptation. And it's really, really powerful. The other thing that I soon realized that I was doing and that really helped me in that season of transition of coming out of, like I said, being someone who had an A plus and falling short to someone who could actually overcome temptation was to actually not approach sin uh, with a light nature or with how do I say it, like kind of a casual nature? It says this in Psalms 97.10, let those who love the Lord hate evil, for he guards the lives of his faithful ones and delivers them from the hands of the wicked. You see, when we take a kind of a passive approach to sin, we'll make wishy-washy decisions that kind of sound like, oh, we're trying to do the right thing, but at the core of it, we're really kind of half in, half out. And really that was, that was what I wanted. I remember every morning it was... It really sucked. Sundays were the worst. I'd go out clubbing on a Saturday or whatever and not just wake up feeling hungover, but just being riddled with shame, like just riddled with guilt. It sucked. I remember that feeling just waking up and just with so much regret and wondering why the heck am I still doing this? And then the following weekend just do the same thing. And that's the trap that you kind of get in. And when I reflect on it, I realised that for so long when I was in that kind of trap, it's really because I wanted the guilt and the shame to leave but I actually didn't want to change how I was living. Like I was kind of in that zone of, oh, I like these friends and I like doing this stuff and it makes me feel good. But then the next morning I feel like crap. Can I, I don't know if I can say crap, but anyway, feel terrible. And then what I would find is that it was this bounce back between, oh, I feel good, but oh, now I'm filled with shame. And it wasn't until I was actually like, hey God, I want you to help me to hate sin. To actually not hate people who sin, we love people, but at the core of it, hate sin. And as I began to ask God for that, I found that it's like my taste buds changed. It's like the things that used to please me just stopped pleasing me. And my heart just began to change. I'm telling you, you have to make strong choices. I remember after I got set free, which I'm really going to share a little bit about later in that moment, but I remember leaving that place just being like, nah, like... I'm done, like I'm all in. And I remember going home and literally just combing through my Instagram, unfollowing anyone and everyone that I even thought could trigger a a spirit of lust, could even make me think wrong. I remember going through that. I remember contacting friends and just being like, hey, look, I'll hang out with you, but not in those situations. I'm not going clubbing. I'm not going drinking. And I just walked away from everything. And I'm telling you, sometimes you've got to make those decisions. And I don't know what that decision looks like for you tonight. It might be something as simple as going home and maybe it's separating from friend groups, which is never easy, but I'm telling you, God is always worth it and he'll always bring new friends in. And ironically, those friends that honestly gave me a lot of beef when I first did that have the most immense respect for me now that I I honestly thought would never happen. But when they have situations in their life that they struggle with, even though they mock me, that's the first place that they turn. And that's because the the work that God will do in you when you make those decisions is amazing. So I want to encourage you guys tonight, if you've got those decisions to make when you leave here, just be concrete. It also says in the Bible that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I used to think that fearing God meant being scared of Him, but 
very, the fear of the Lord is a Bible study in itself, but you actually can't love what you're scared of. So it doesn't mean to be scared of God. The way I see fear of the Lord and, and the beginning of wisdom is that if you fear God, you actually fear being away from him, right? You actually fear breaking his heart. You actually fear hurting him. You fear grieving him. And when you live like that, you will naturally make wise decisions. And so it's like in that context, it also says the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Same thing as loving him. And so when you have that heart that says, God, I'm just done grieving you. I'm done hurting you. It's from that place you actually can make wise decisions and can make the choices you need to make. And so I just want to encourage you guys tonight. And if you'll turn with me, if you've got your Bibles, this is one to highlight many times. In my Bible, it's probably the first book I read every time. And it's James chapter four, five to eight. It's kind of like the, what do you call it? The cream of the crop when it comes to overcoming temptation. It says this, do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate, that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. And he gives grace generously. As the scripture says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come close to God and he will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. We can... um. Oh, I was about to say we'll leave that up, but it's a little bit long. I'll just read it. But as we break that down, this you could talk about this for a week, but the first part says that God reconciled us to be faithful to him. The whole reason God, when you have that moment of salvation and you say, God, I want to invite you into my life, his spirit comes to live inside of you. And it says that his spirit, he says, should be faithful to him. In saying that it should be faithful to him in itself means that you have the power to actually do that. God never puts something in his word that's impossible. He's not like a tease, not saying, oh, this is what you should be able to do. He actually gives you the power to do it. And secondly, I love this bit. One word that you can interchange very easily in the Bible because it has many meanings. One definition of grace, if you're going to remember anything tonight, is this, is empowerment. It actually says that in the Bible in Corinthians, Paul introduces grace as power. And so if we read this middle bit in a different way, it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. It's basically saying God opposes the proud but gives his empowerment to the humble. And what that means is I used to live in pride, right? When I was young, I tried to fix myself. Why? Because I wanted the shame and the guilt to go, but I didn't want to live God's way. So I would try by discipline, by force, by uh, good habits to try and not do that or not watch porn or not hang around those people. And I would last two days, three days, sometimes a week if I was really good. But every time I would fall short. And it was that exact reason. It says, God gives grace to the humble, not to those who are proud. And if we see it as empowerment to live different, what that is actually saying that the person who is humble will receive empowerment to live, live differently, right? And so what that looks like is someone coming in and saying, God, I don't have it all together. Jesus, I actually need you to live like you. Jesus, I need you. I can't do life on my own. The Bible even says without him, we can do nothing. In other words, we can't fix ourselves. We can't change ourselves. We can't empower ourselves to live differently. It's only by Him. And so when you come in with that humble heart, what you soon find is that you actually have the empowerment to live differently. You have the empowerment to follow through with your choices. You have the empowerment that when you read Scripture and you go, oh man, that's not, I'm not living up to that, to actually go out and live up to it. And it's an amazing, amazing thing. And now I just want to float around on this last bit. When I first read this, I was like, oh, this seems like it's in an odd place. But it says that this, after resist the devil and he will flee from you, it says, come close to God and he will come close to you. When I first read that, I was like, man, that's in a weird place, like talking about fleeing the devil and washing your hands and all this other stuff. But 
really it comes down to exactly what I was just talking about. It is all about Jesus. Every time. When it says come close to God, that he will come close to you, that is the key to resisting the devil. That is the key to becoming pure. That is the key to anything in that whole passage. You see, the Bible says that he's the gracious one. So when I was talking about grace being empowerment, that grace comes from something. It's not just random. It comes from the one who's gracious, right? The Bible says that Jesus is the bread of life. In other words, when you spend time with him in the morning, you consume that bread. And when you go out into the world, you're not hungry for the stuff the world has. You're full of Christ. Do you know what I mean? He satisfies. The Bible says that he's, a, he's the word made flesh. Or in other words, he is the word in a person form. What that means is that when you read your Bible in the morning, you soon realize that you actually are looking into the heart of God. And when you begin to see how beautiful and how kind and how amazing he actually is, you'll leave that place and not want a bar of the world. You don't want what the world has to offer. It's, it's like getting a five-star meal that's healthy and then someone giving you Maccas. You're kind of like, eh, like, not really, not today. It's the same kind of thing. I love that the Bible also calls Jesus the vine, right? And it says that we're the branches. And it says that apart from him, we can produce no fruit. Fruit in the Bible, very quickly, refers to a number of things, but joy, love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, and self-control. You see, when we try to do life our own way and we don't actually cling to that, that, brand, that vine, and we're trying to be a little cut-off branch, like Katie's blueberry tree, if she just cut a branch off and chucked it, that thing's going to die. And it's the same thing with us. If we're not clinging to Jesus with all our life and our fuel isn't coming from Him, then we have no chance of getting self-control and getting free. It just doesn't happen. So I want to encourage you tonight that Jesus is the answer. Come near to God and He will come near to you. It's that simple. So amazing. Loving Jesus every day is the answer. It says in James 1.12, I had it up before, but I'll read this little bit again. It says, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. I love, it says, promise to those who love him. You see, the key to enduring temptation, the key to overcoming temptation is loving God. It's that simple. You come close to Him. You love Him. You will walk with Him. You hate sin because you love Him. And all of a sudden, you find all the things that used to trap you just beginning to break away, and you begin to actually live a holy life without even trying. It's so amazing. So I just want to talk to you guys quickly about what loving Jesus actually looks like. Every day, it looks like reading your Bible. I used to find that such a task, but now it's like the highlight of my day every time. And I encourage you, if that's not a habit in your life yet, force yourself to do it. And very quickly, it'll become one of the most amazing times. As I said before, Jesus is the bread of life. It says that fresh bread or manna in the Bible comes down daily, daily. And then what it says is that word, that bread for that day began to rot. If you go back and read Exodus, and then the next morning, fresh bread would come down again. So in other words, the bread that satisfied you yesterday isn't the bread that's going to satisfy you tomorrow. It has to be a daily thing that you're feeding, right? It says that the other thing I want to encourage you to do is spend time in prayer daily. Spend time in prayer daily. As I said before, as you get a taste for what his presence is like, as you get a taste for what his voice sounds like, as you get to experience what the love of God actually feels like, the world just loses that appeal. Like you'll walk out and people will be like, oh, do you want to come to the pub like we used to? And you're just like, mm. like 
It just doesn't have that pull that it used to anymore. It doesn't have that, that itch that I used to have get it to get in there. So I want to encourage you, read your Bible daily, pray daily. And the last thing is so amazing, it's worship daily. Worship daily. You see, we actually become like what we worship. When we focus on things, worship is just focusing on God. It's giving him praise. It's giving him attention. It's telling him how amazing him is. Without even realizing in the world, we do that with so many other things. We worship money. It has our attention. It has our focus. We worship relationships. We can't do life if we're on our own. All these things. Everyone has their different thing. But I'm telling you, when you worship God and you, and you begin to look at it, it says the glory of God is found in the face of Jesus. As you stare at him, you quickly find that, like I said, that, that worldly satisfaction, that thing you used to worship just loses its appeal. And it's not like those things where you chase and chase and chase and you're never satisfied. It says that Jesus satisfies. He satisfies. You come near to him, right? And all of a sudden you find you walk around and the world could be falling down around you. Man, I've had like just stuff go wrong. And I'm like, why do I feel so much joy? Like my world's half fallen down around me and I just have peace. And people look at your life and they're like, what the hell is wrong with you? Like everyone's stressed, flipping their lid and you're just like flying on in. And it's that exact reason you worship and you just come out of your prayer closet on fire and just in love with God. So amazing. So I want to encourage you that what does that look like for you? For me, it was moving into my little two-bed apartment, making sure that my walk-in robe wasn't just a walk-in robe. I went and bought a little chair to sit in there and a little coffee table, and I just made that my place. If you have to set your alarm half an hour early, 45 minutes early to see God do it, I'm telling you, I'm a sleep scientist. I know the value of sleep. But I'm telling you, I would miss 45 minutes of sleep any day to seek God, and it's so, so worth it. So I want to encourage you, if you don't do that, get stuck in. And I just want to finish around this thought. I love in the Bible, it always talks about rewards. It says in Psalm 24, 3 to 4, I really only just began to, I guess, experience this, and it's the most amazing thing. It says, Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who might stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart. Man, like, when you have that walk with God and when you show him through your actions that you love him, Like I said, you can come into any situation and just be so overcome with joy and peace. And it's because of that. Who may ascend the holy hill of the Lord? In his presence, there's peace. In his presence, there's joy. In his presence, he just satisfies you. And I'm telling you that the reward of loving Jesus and overcoming temptation so far outweighs everything else. Tonight, I want to encourage you that you might be in that trap that I was of repetitively falling short. Like I said, I'm not here to condemn. That was my life for so many years, but I'm here to encourage you that you can break free and you can get out of that way of life. And that way out is Jesus. It says this in 1 John 2, 1. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. In 2015, I remember so clearly, I was in the back, my back right, your back left, and I was sitting in a service just like this one, and an altar call went out. And it wasn't an altar call that was easy to respond to, because it was an altar call for lust and perversity. And when you're in a church as a young man, and your pastors are in the service, your parents are in the service, your friends are in the service, no one else is going forward, and you're like, man, I know that's me, and I need to be there. That's a line in the sand moment. And I remember in my heart being like, you know what, God, and not in an arrogant way, but being like, 
Lord, I don't, I don't care what anyone thinks anymore. Like, I'm, I'm done. Like, I'm done living life my own way. God, I need you. Jesus, I need you. And I remember walking down the front to receive prayer. And I realized in that moment, I wasn't just going to receive freedom, but I was going to give my heart back to Jesus Christ and return that to him. The thing that ticked me over the edge to making that decision was that when I was sitting in my seat, I had honestly that very weekend fallen short in a way that I never thought I would. Like something morally that I just never thought I would, a place that I would ever go. I remember I'd gone through failing temptation for years and years, sometimes to the point where I just stopped even trying to resist. Like I would just be like, whatever, I know I'm going to fail, I'm just going to do it. And I'm telling you, I was sitting in my chair and it's like for a second, God let me actually see the pain that I was causing his heart and it rocked me. And I remember like just feeling the the grief that I'd caused him. You see, God is God and he's omnipotent and he's mighty and he's amazing, but he's so gentle and he loves you so, so ridiculously. And I remember just sitting in my chair and just feeling this wave of, just sadness that I'd, that I'd caused God. And at that moment, I was like, no, nah, I can't do that anymore. Like, I'm just done hurting him. And I remember just walking to the front, standing there, and really just processing all that Jesus had actually done. See, sometimes we make that moment that Jesus went to Calvary look a little better than it does. We see Jesus on, like I remember growing up in a Baptist church, and they'd have the cross up there with Jesus on it. Yeah, he had the crown of thorns and stuff, but he didn't. He looked pretty good. (laughs) But when you read the Bible, you actually realize just the state that 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 situation was in. It says that before he went to the cross, it says that the guards beat him to the point that he was unrecognizable, that he looked barely human. And I remember thinking about that being like, man, like that's what I deserved. And it says that he wore a crown of thorns that was punctured into his mind and he sat there and received a whipping for us, right? And he had his beard pulled from his face. He was spat on and mocked. They put a purple gown on him and basically mocked him for saying that he was royalty. And it said in all that, he remained perfectly silent. And I remember asking God and being like, God, like, why, why that extent? Why couldn't you just go and die? Why did you have to suffer like that? And I remember him saying that I suffered like that because that was the state of your heart and I had to deal with it all. You see, when he wore the crown of thorns, it was so that your mind can be free. So that you don't have to suffer with temptation. You don't have to suffer with hurt. You don't have to suffer with unforgiveness. You don't have to be locked up in depression. He wore that crown of thorns so that your mind could be free. He bore the whips, it said, on his back so that what we, have, what we did before, so that people could be healed, right? He went through that. He didn't have to do that. We still would have made it to heaven if he just went to the cross. But he bore that so that your body could be healed. It says that he remained silent and was mocked, unrecognizable to people by how bad he was beaten. And I was like, God, why did you do that? And he said, it's so you can be recognized by me, so that I can recognize you. I became unrecognizable. And that just absolutely broke my heart. And so as I walked down and received prayer, I remember crying and crying and crying and crying and just so much pain left. But in my life, I've never felt that clean. I remember standing down the front, And when I walked down there, I'd never felt more shame, guilt, just everything that had happened kind of just bubbled up. And as I stood there and as I prayed that prayer, which we're going to do soon, 
Jesus is so faithful. Like, if you come to him and you pray tonight, he will not leave you the same. He washed me clean in an instant. He filled me with his Holy Spirit in an instant. I walked out of there able to make a change. I walked out of there and quickly found myself in situations when I would have fallen short. And I found that I had the power to actually step out and not fall short. And it was for that one reason. He is so, so good. So I just want you guys to close your eyes if that's right. Oh, thank you, Jesus. You're amazing. If that's you tonight, maybe you were like me. Maybe you got an A plus and falling short to temptation. Maybe every time the devil comes and throws a line to you, you can't help but bite it. I'm telling you tonight, you can be completely free, completely washed clean, completely forgiven, completely transformed. Maybe tonight you've made that decision before to actually follow Jesus Christ, but you know deep within your heart that you've just been living your own way and you're not living like Jesus has asked you to live, like he's empowering you to live. You're constantly falling short. Maybe you've made that decision in the past, but you feel in your heart you want to come back to him tonight. And lastly, maybe you're someone tonight who if you were to walk out and the worst thing was to happen and you were to pass away, if you weren't sure where you would be going tonight, whether to heaven or to hell, the Bible says so clearly, make your election sure. What that means is that you can be sure tonight. And that if you're not, one simple prayer, giving your heart back to Jesus Christ can change everything. If you're any of those three people, I just want you to listen to your heart right now. You'll be feeling butterflies, a little stirring. In a moment, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand if that's you. We're going to simply pray a prayer. I'm not going to call you out the front. Nothing like that. This is a moment completely between you and God. I want you to forget that you're sitting next to anyone else. If that's you right now, I just want you to pop your hand up. If you're just done living that life, you want to surrender your heart to God, I'm telling you, he's just one prayer away. Thank you. I see your hand, man. You can pop that down. See your hand as well. Awesome. Keep, keep coming. I'm telling you tonight, Jesus is so here. He is lovely. That same Jesus that set me free is the same one here tonight. And he is so beautiful, so forgiving, so kind. If that's you, I'm just going to give this a moment longer. Just submit your heart to Jesus. Telling you it's the best decision you'll ever make. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. As a church tonight with these amazing people that raise their hands, can we all just pray from our hearts to God? If that's you that raise your hand tonight, don't pray this prayer to me. Pray this prayer to Jesus. Fix your eyes on him as best as you know how and just follow along with the words. Everyone just repeat after me. Dear God in heaven, I surrender my life to you tonight. I ask you to forgive me. I say sorry and I repent. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for making me new again. I give you all of my life and I thank you that you give me all of yours. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen, amen, amen. Amazing. If that was you tonight, can we just give it a hand up for those amazing, amazing people? That is the best decision you'll ever make. You guys are amazing. I want to encourage you that someone after the service saw you put your hand up. They're amazing people. They love you and want the best for you. They're just going to come over to you with a little gift and just pray with you and encourage you on your work with God. One last time, can we just give a hand together for Jesus? He's so good. Thank you, guys.